0: This episode of the Thrive Life Podcast is presented to you by Roar Alexander, powered by Thrive Life International and home of the Thrive Life Challenge. Get ready to discover everything you want to know about fitness, nutrition, and optimized healthy lifestyle hacks to help you truly earn your Thrive Life. Also be sure to keep up with Roar at www.RoarAlexander.com and share the Thrive Life Podcast on iTunes, soundcloud or the thrive life podcast page on facebook now with no further delay let's get on to the show Hey everybody, thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of the Thrive Life Podcast. I'm your host, Royal Alexander, and today I have a great show coming up for you and continuing with bringing on some of our most amazing guests. Uh, you know, we've had quite a few guests lately trying to make the uh, show a little more guest heavy uh, to bring you some different points of view and different ideas from around the world. We have on Dr. Emily Spickle today. Now, for those of you that follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you will always see uh, pictures of me talking about barefoot training or uh, just being barefoot in general, talking about the importance of the feet when it comes to health. Uh, When I'm at the gym, I'm always in bare feet, do most of my deadlifting and uh, squatting in bare feet, just about always in bare feet. I just really don't like shoes, period. And a lot of people think it's strange but luckily Dr. Emily Spickle is not one of those. She is the founder of the Evidence-Based Fitness Academy or the EBFA and inside there she actually runs quite a number of courses aimed at everything from the public to fitness trainers to physiotherapists about the benefits of moving in bare feet and just being barefoot all day so we talk about barefoot from a couple different perspectives we talk about first of all from you know a fitness performance some more inside the gym But then we get more into the holistic health side where we talk about uh, reflexology, some of the different things that you can use for reflexology. We talk a little bit about that as well as we talk about some of the more on the fringe benefits such as what's called earthing or grounding, which is where we actually use bare feet in the ground outside to kind of bring ourselves back into nature, get in tune with the Earth's magnetic fields. And there's even some evidence that it affects antioxidants in your body so we're going to talk about all that so i don't really want to keep you guys waiting so let's just jump right into that with dr emily spickle on the thrive life podcast so we're with dr emily spickle barefoot training specialist and emily dr emily how did you get into barefoot training uh
1: sure so i actually started barefoot training well let me go back a few steps so i'm a podiatrist. Yep. before I went to podiatry school to specialize in foot medicine and foot function, as I was actually in fitness. So my passion has always been movement. When I was going through podiatry school, I knew I never wanted to do conventional medicine. I knew I didn't want to do surgery. I was my intent of going to uh, graduate school was to take that information and then combine it with fitness and movement to ultimately change the way that I look at movement or just enhance my passion for movement. Um, so combining that, I was teaching classes, I was always in fitness, I was a gymnast for, for 15 years. Uh, so I, I've always been here for always moving. And the further I got into podiatry school, the more my interest peaked in natural movement and kind of tied in everything that I knew from being a gymnast and things like that. And then I actually took time off of my training for podiatry. Okay. Went back, to, went back to school and got my master's in human movement, right? I focused nothing on nothing but barefoot science, barefoot movement, proprioception. And this really was around the time of Born to Run and the Nike Free, Vibra, Five Finger Boom. Yep. All of that was happening at this time. So some of it was being at the right place at the right time. Uh, and then some of it was, my background was always in movement and barefoot movement. And I just kind of blended all of my passions gotcha. into what my company is now.
0: And then, so your company is right now, the main one, I guess, would it be the Evidence-Based Fitness Academy? Is that your Yes. Name? yes. Yep. okay.
1: Yes, so that, that's my education company, not my products company. I have a product company. Okay, so
0: we'll get into both of those. So for the Education-Based Fitness Academy, you basically offer, I guess from what I saw, was three courses or I guess three directions you can go, which is, sorry, the uh, Barefoot Training Specialist, the Barefoot Rx, and the Barefoot Workouts. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So my goal and really the, the power of Barefoot Science and Barefoot Training is that it applies to so many facets. It's not just for fitness. It's not just for runners. So that's why we have three different certifications or three different avenues that go from fitness, performance, or fitness, rehab, and then group fitness. So it's kind of three different tracks, and then performance obviously falls in there as well under the Barefoot Training. The barefoot training really is our fitness sector. The barefoot on racks is focused much more towards doctors, physical therapists, chiropractors. And then bare is our extension to consumers and, and to group fitness instructors.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so so the Barefoot Training Specialist is aimed at personal trainers and fitness instructors who want to work with clients or teach classes for the most part. Barefoot RX is, um, is like we said, physio. And then Barefoot Workouts, that's really just what, that's more like the general public, right? That's like a, a gym, You like a class you would kind of join at a gym, is that a good idea? Yep, yep, exactly. So
1: Barefoot is a Barefoot Balance Training Workout. Everything mm-hmm. kind of blends because I have a philosophy of Looking at movement, obviously barefoot, yeah. uh, but everything ties into locomotion. So all of the exercises in bare mm-hmm. are done on one leg. It's like a balance, barefoot balance training workout built around body tension and body weight training. Gotcha. That, ha- that happens to be the way that I have trainers and athletic trainers activate the nervous system in the BTS program. And then I teach physical therapists and medical professionals to activate the nervous system in their patients. So a lot of them, it kind of infiltrates to all all three because it's just a philosophy of how I look at movement.
0: Gotcha, so what got you so interested in Barefoot. You don't hear a lot about it. I mean, you hear a lot about it, you know, when it comes, like you said, to Nike and the running. But you don't hear much about barefoot training or anything outside of just kind of the running minimalist shoe world. What got you into? What, what's so important about the barefoot to you?
1: Yeah. So it's I when I initially was thinking about barefoot, I just spoke a lot of it of uh, balance training, obviously stimulating the the skin on the feet. But the more I started to explore it through my master's and then after graduate school and developing EBFA, was I started t- to tap into so much information and the uniqueness of the proprioceptors, what the nerves and the feet are sensitive to, and how that ties to dynamic movement, and how footwear blocks those proprioceptors and what it does to your nervous system. So then I kind of got exploring into neuromuscular control and activation sequences and time stabilization and, and very kind of complex aspects of human movement and movement dysfunction which led me down into sensory stimulation of children and how it how it develops cognitive programming and i mean it's so powerful when you start mm-hmm. thinking of really your nervous system and the foot being the only contact point between the body and the ground it's yep. that way for a reason. Yep. <laughs> like it's, it's that powerful for a reason. And a lot of people just kind of skim the surface of how powerful it is when they talk about, hey, you should be in minimal shoes, which is true. Mm-hmm. You should train your feet barefoot. Yes, that's true, but to really get into it, there's, there's a lot of information and that's why our barefoot training specialist actually has three levels to it. Like there's enough information to have three levels of exploring how powerful the feet are.
0: Wow, that's that's extremely interesting. So where, like you kind of said, you know, for people to start off with barefoot training, like just being barefoot, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make?
1: Uh, I would say the biggest one is that they will go into their socks
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: think that that's barefoot. No. That's not barefoot. Okay. You have to get completely barefoot, no socks, no minimal shoes, barefoot activation really means maximizing the ground to surface contact, okay. so get the socks off as well, that's still a barrier to proprioception, and then training on the right surfaces. So if you're going to go barefoot and then you go onto a yoga mat, you just block those proprioceptors again. Okay. So you need to be on the ideal training surface which like a hardwood studio floor is one of the best surfaces. Um, earth, like natural surfaces are good. Dirt, grass, things like that. Okay. Um, and then that really led into why I developed nervosa, which is a proprioceptive mat to train on. Because that's another surface that optimizes stimulating the foot.
0: Okay, so that mat, I saw I saw it quickly on the internet. Well, what, what exactly is that mat? Because when you see the pictures, it just kind of looks like a black yoga mat.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's not just a mat. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of... It took me two years to develop that mat. So there's a lot of uh, innovation behind it, um, which is funny that I'm like, oh, it took me two years to make a yoga mat. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but so it's a small nerve proprioceptive mat. And when I say small nerve, there there's two types of proprioceptors in the body. There's small nerves and large nerves. The small okay. nerves... Respond to very specific stimuli, and it responds to stimuli faster than large nerve proprioceptors. Some examples of large nerve proprioceptors are muscle spindles and GTOs. So those are the ones that most trainers think of. You're on a wobble board, you're on something unstable. That's a large nerve proprioceptive tool. Okay. Now, with the mat and smaller proprioceptors since they're they're sensitive to different stimulation and they're they're faster, it's it's the more effective way to train neuromuscular control or ankle stability or joint position sense in a way. So when you look at the mat, it has a small texture and the shape, height, and distance of each texture on that mat is based on research. Okay. And when you look at textured research and surface science the subtlety of the, the texture or the stimuli has to be very specific. Hmm. So, if the texture is too loud, like reflexology, like a reflexology mat, and they're very, like, pointy, I'm sure people are familiar with that, Yeah, uh, that's almost like an overstimulus, where proprioception is much more subtle and it's, it's quieter to the nervous system, Okay. Yet, yet your nervous system still perceives it. So, think almost like on a subconscious level so subconsciously i'm stimulating your foot without you consciously being like oh wow that's a huge stimulus um that's how your foot integrates into posture control and your muscular control
0: Hmm. that's very interesting yeah because i want to talk definitely about a little bit about reflexology and i have some notes i have things like river rock mats and things like that written down and the uh you know talk about the chinese you know the chinese footpaths. All that sort of stuff, so we'll get into that for sure. Um, so basically, like I, I'm a big fan of barefoot training, always have been. I had one of the first pairs of Vibram five shoes when they came to camp. Five fingers, sorry when they came to Canada quite a number of years ago, and one of the first uh, Nike Freeze as well. Those things were really ugly back in the day. <laughs> they were like, I think Nike went out of their way to make them ugly, so people would ask you what they were, so they were bright red. Um, that was before they had like, I think it was before they had like the 3.0s and the 1.0s and the 5.0s. Um, have you found that people are more receptive now to, like I remember when, when you know when Five Fingers first came out, like, you are a weirdo if you wore those things, you know? Have you found that people are more receptive now to barefoot training?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But there's still a category of people that when I say, oh, I'm talking about barefoot training, they immediately think I'm talking about barefoot running. Yes. But, you know, and I think now more and more people understand, okay, there's a difference to be barefoot strong and to train barefoot does not mean you have to be a runner And you have to be in Vibrams or Nike Free or or whatnot. So people are definitely embracing it. And then people are starting to see it more and more, especially from athletics. That if they see professional athletes doing it, that they'll train barefoot and then they'll put their shoes on and then go on the field or whatnot. Um, So it's definitely been... Uh, more widely accepted. Mm-hmm. However, there's still some of the hesitations on, like injury, Am I gonna, am I gonna drop a, a weight or something on my foot and break it? You yeah, know, some of those things that are um, a little ridiculous, in my opinion. And then a lot of people will still have some of the cleanliness concerns. So there's still a few barriers. Yeah. But more and more people are embracing it. More people are going into socks. I would say that that's the the, the next kind of wave within the industry is that people are getting out of the minimal shoes and they're going into into socks. Next yeah. thing, eventually, they're going to be completely barefoot, and then I'll be happy. Yes, <laughs> that's what we need. For sure, yeah,
0: I'm pretty much barefoot, probably about eighty percent of the time, except when I have to have shoes. Actually, a new win is um a neat pair of shoe socks that I've seen lately is the. Um, Forget what it's called, but it looks kind of like a sock. But you can roll them up, and you, they work like a shoe too. I mean, they're not—it's not as good as barefoot, but it's definitely interesting. But yeah, the socks are a big one. Um, now, something that I use and wanted to get your thoughts on it is—I actually, about a couple months ago, I've been meaning to do it for a few years, um, but they're hard to find. Is I actually use the yoga toe separators? Have you yes. have you seen those? We got any thoughts on those things? Yep.
1: Those are actually really good. There's a company in the U.S. called Correct Toes, and that one specifically I recommend to to patients and, and people who take my workshops. However, any of them that you take or that you use are good. They're beneficial. What they do is they stretch the small muscles that insert into the digits, and if you happen to work out with them, you can do yoga or Pilates or any workout with them. I do my
0: deadlifts and my squatting. Actually, I wear them at the gym almost all the time.
1: So. Yeah, no, see, yeah. so that's awesome. So what's that, what that's doing is it's giving a mechanical advantage to the intrinsic muscles of the foot. Mm. So the smaller muscles of the feet are given a little extra boost just because all of the larger muscles of the leg, like the posterior tibialis and the gastrocnemius and the and all those muscles, are very strong compared to the small muscles in the feet. So that's awesome that you're
0: doing that. Yeah, well I find my balance is really improved with them. Well, what, what got me into it, you know, for, I just kind of thought, it just seems logical, you know, where you're wearing these shoes which are squishing your toes together for literally decades. And I found that, you know, when you look at like a baby and they can practically grab, you know, they can, they can grab like a pencil. It's like their toes are like fingers. And then I looked at my toes, I'm like, they move as, like, one unit. <laughs> so I was like, that's pretty terrible. So I started wearing those, and literally now I can actually make my toes. I've only been wearing them for maybe a little over a month now, uh, maybe six weeks. But I can literally now separate my toes, and I actually just feel like my – the. the, the the ball of my foot just feels wider, and it just feels like I get better balance, you know. Um, So I'll do my single leg, you know, kettlebell deadlifts and everything, and I just find it's made a very big difference, you know, in my opinion, so.
1: Yeah, no, your toes play a very important role in balance, and people don't realize that. It's not just the big toe, it's all digits widely spread, contacting the ground. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the key things for optimal foot function, is that people should do exactly what you did. Start using yep. those toe spacers.
0: Yeah, and I, I think they're great. I'm wearing them right now. I think they're just amazing. Now, going back to the barefoot sort of um, footwear, um, what do you know? I know there was a few years ago, for instance, Vibram got in trouble with a lawsuit. Um, I don't know if do you, do you remember that at all.
1: I do, yes.
0: Yeah, they got sued, I think it was for what, almost $4 million. Um, they had that problem was so that kind of set the barefoot training kind of back a little bit i think because um, it was kind of a, a big hit to the people that were into it do you know like why did that happen like basically i know vibram was trying to say they were trying to say that their shoes did a whole bunch of things that they had no evidence for yet most of the things that i read that they said you know they said it strengthens the foot they said it helps with strengthen the, the smaller muscles. Isn't that that stuff's all pretty much true for the most part? Correct, or is it, or is it only true if you're literally in bare feet?
1: Yeah, no. So where their lawsuits came about, and this is based on, do you remember Skechers and the, the shape ups?
0: I do with the rounded shoes where you would rock and they toned your bum. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so essentially, the people who sued. Vibram and the barefoot shoes, their five fingers, mm-hmm. used the Skechers as a as an example of like why they could get sued. So Skechers was making false claims and saying, you know, if you use Skechers, you're you're going to lose weight, you're going to increase your, you know, your glutes and all those things. Right? Yeah, those I
0: remember. Claims. I remember all that. It was gonna right? make yeah. add like add add centimeters to your butt.
1: Yeah, exactly. So Skechers got sued and they essentially set the, now lawyers can use that and say, hey, if you make any false claim around footwear, we could technically sue you. Like they're mm-hmm. using it as an example. So Vibram was making claims around their shoe, like kind of the fast way, will essentially take away back pain, will take away knee pain, will okay. make you run faster. So they were, they were making certain associations because it they knew that it was going to make sales gotcha uh, and what i would say around that is vipro knew that they were going to get sued because they were making claims the united states loves to sues, sue so that's true it would, <laughs> would take it to court um uh, but they knew that they were making so many sales that if they had to pay out four million dollars they made what a billion dollars in sales or something like that like it's it's just ridiculous. That's just kind of a drop in the bucket compared to what they made. Gotcha. So,
0: so basically I, they use propaganda to knowing, okay, we're going to lose a little bit. We're going to make a lot more in the end.
1: That's what I think. There's, people in business are smart. They know that you can't make ridiculous claims. Or the or people are going to say, like, hey, you promised me that that was going to take away my knee pain. Yeah, no, know? So, for sure. Um, but what the, what, what's important is that that didn't kill the... The trend of people understanding how they have to connect with their feet so it maybe got rid of some of the people who adopt and think that there's a magical whatever mm-hmm. but it's still there's still really good credibility behind barefoot science because people reached out to me and were saying like oh this is going to kill your program this lawsuit i'm like that's no, not like there's solid science behind barefoot training 100 and it's, it's not a fact it's not a trend it's it's almost like foam rolling or myofascial release now. Yeah. Right, like addressing your fascia is now well accepted and it's a critical part of everyone's program. Barefoot stimulation and thinking about your feet is the exact same.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, I agree. uh, So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about some of the tools that maybe could help people when you're first getting into this because I kind of like all my little tools, you know, like your toe separators. What do you think about rolling out the arches of your foot with, say, like a yoga ball or something like that?
1: Yeah, so that's a key thing So before you start activating your feet Especially depending on your foot type mm-hmm. Is I recommend doing five minutes Of trigger point release Or rolling the foot before you Start training okay. And technically, I wouldn't roll your foot I would just stand on The golf ball or the lacrosse ball Or whatever it is mm-hmm. And just allow your body to relax On it Yeah. instead of rolling You're going to get a much better release That way than
0: Gotcha. Now, should you do it? Because like when I first started it and I did what you said, you know, put some pressure on it. When you first started, it's significantly painful and now it doesn't feel bad at all. I can sit there and do it all day. How hard should you really go when you're doing that?
1: Yes, you want to release and put your entire body weight. So let's see if you're using, I like golf balls. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Melt Method, there's Rad Roller, there's LaCrosse Balls. There's so many different products out there. Yeah. Um, technically, I don't care what you use. I would use something that's smaller, though, so that you can stand and it's not going to totally throw off your pelvis. Okay. So that's why I do, like, the smaller-sized release balls or release tools. Okay. So let's say you're, let's say you're on a golf ball, just for the sake of things. Mm-hmm. And i put one under each foot, so then I can put both of my on it and even out my body weight and my pelvis and my alignment. And then I just stand and I put all my body weight on it. And then I'm there for a minute, and then I go to a new spot, there for a minute with all my body weight, and then I kind of proceed that way. If that way with all of your body weight on it is too much, then you, of course, can kind of modify and do 50% of your body weight, 75% of your body weight. Um, you're not going to hurt yourself by doing all of your body weight on it.
0: Okay, so it's just so while it might, it might feel quite uncomfortable, it's, oh, you're not actually going to get injured on it at all. No,
1: so, no, no, no.
0: Yeah, actually some of the Muay Thai gyms around here, some of the more traditional ones, I've actually seen they have a piece of uh, wood, maybe about uh, you know one foot by one foot, and they've cut a coconut in half, and they glue a coconut shell uh, to it, and you actually stand on the hard coconut shells.
1: So, oh, okay, so it's the, the rounded side. Yeah, you stand
0: on the rounded side.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 so that's a great way as well. Yeah, so it's
0: pretty interesting.
1: What else? How, do, how
0: about anything um, like anything for the calves or anything like that? And, you know, is, is there any other little tools that we can kind of use to kind of start strengthen the foot and the ankle? Uh,
1: so the release, I would definitely do that as well on the uh, the calf, and then the correctos is what you had said. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use different kinesiology tape and rock tape and things like that. To, you could put a strip on the bottom of the foot that would activate the proprioceptors on the feet okay. uh, depending on the foot type you could take that around um, the medial side of the foot to stimulate the posterior tibialis so that's another tool that you can use okay. definitely the neboso hmm
0: yep <laughs> for sure that. <laughs> and
1: then that, that's really the the most like tech I get you know, I, I integrate power plate with it I integrate um kettlebells and with those then become bigger modalities. Okay. When it comes to the foot, you don't need, you know, all these gadgets to do things because really the purpose of the foot is for stability, for an isometric contraction to take impact forces, and then to become what's called a rigid lever Mm -hmm. to get you into a push off position. So you don't need all these tricks and gadgets when it comes to the foot because it's it's Based on body weight and locomotion.
0: Gotcha. Now, I guess the thing. Well, I don't have to guess. I know that you must be then a fan of barefoot running. So there's always the kind of back and forth between hitting on your, you know, heel hitting and running on the balls of your foot. Where do you kind of lie in that area?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to actual natural running, that's based on how your fascial system works, mm-hmm. which is you know everything is fascia and dynamics. Yeah. When you look at running, a lot of people will do comparisons of walking and say walking was an eventual eventual evolution of running and that's why running should mimic walking. However, it's actually very different. Running is based on the recoil of your Achilles tendon yep. and how that ties into your entire fascial system. Which means that to get optimal Achilles tendon, you have to be more like a spring. So um, walking is much more of what's called a pendulum so your leg is swinging like a pendulum right so it's orange you strike your heel you load energy and then you take the next step yeah running is much more of a spring which if you picture someone who's running on their their forefoot or their midfoot the front of the foot hits the ground first and then the heel comes down and if you could almost visualize a spring and you're compressing a spring which is you're loading your achilles tendon mm-hmm and then you, you push off or you recoil off because the spring is releasing. That's optimally taking advantage of your Achilles tendon and your fascia when you run. So I am a proponent on what's called a midfoot strike. A lot of people will say it's barefoot running, but technically it's a midfoot strike. Okay. So yes, when it comes to running based on fascia,
0: you should strike the front of your foot first, not the heel. However, mm-hmm. to do that, you have to be at a certain pace, not a lot of people run at the right pace to get to that point of the foot. Okay, so what, what pace should ideally would they be going at that?
1: So it's around 180 steps per minute okay. to get into that. So uh, I don't know how that converts to kilometers per hour. Yeah, know I don't <laughs> either. But, <laughs> but you, you definitely have to be faster than, let's say, like a, a, a jog. So mm-hmm. you're, Almost like if you're you're doing a fast walk and then you go into like a little jog, so it's not fast enough, okay. right? So you have to truly be running. Um, if you are actually jogging at the point that you could probably speed walk that same pace, mm-hmm. if you could almost visualize that, yep. right? Then technically you should not be jogging because the mechanics of that pace is actually putting a lot of stress on your body yep. that you would be better off speed walking than jogging at that pace yeah from, 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 a, from a factual energy loading perspective
0: yeah nope that makes a lot of sense now is there any exercise that we should that's probably not very good for olympic lifting and i only wonder because i was listening to a podcast with you and you talked about trying out some olympic lifting in your bare feet uh some weight training i, I think it was olympic lifting you were doing i think you were talking about yes and I've done that once I I won't do that again because you know I found you know when you get into that heavy weight and I you know I went for a pretty heavy clean and you know you gotta stop there for a minute it it hurt a lot
1: (laughs) (laughs) so that's actually a really good question I'm glad you asked it because people have different opinions on this or they think that I'm very like oh everything should be barefoot nothing should have orthotics you know a heel toe drop is bad where Olympic lifting so the demands of that sport, obviously, you appreciate that because you do it and you've done it on some level with your yeah. training. Um, and where I stand on that is when you're doing your lighter lifts, mm-hmm. so you're you're essentially warming up your nervous system, right? You're kind of preparing the movement. That stuff I love barefoot mm-hmm. because it's lighter weights anyway. The heavier the weight becomes, or certain ones, if you're doing like a split jump or something like that, split stance then you you want to make sure that you have the accuracy that the shoe gives you. And, okay. and that more solid base, as you're saying, that you jumped and, and it hurts, obviously, when you're doing snatches and things. Um, other thing related to that is that as you put weight on the body, you get what's called arch compression. Okay. And you want a little bit of arch compression because that's how you load your fascial tissue, your plantar fascia, things like that. Mm-hmm. However you will exceed a point that you do want to have something that's that's going to resist kind of that natural drop of the arch so Mm -hmm. i have patients who are olympic lifters and i will actually have them lift certain weights they'll put in their orthotics because they actually want to resist some of that arch compression of you know some of these massive loads that they're doing with olympic lifting so I think from a activation neuromuscular perspective, your your lighter lifts just to kind of go through the motion and warm up your nervous system and connective tissue. Do that barefoot, and then heavier weights. You got to be in Olympic lifting shoes. I would say not even like minimal shoes, but like true Olympic lifting shoes is really what you need to be in. Okay. Possibly. Possibly with
0: orthotics. Gotcha. So you're saying so so it's not necessarily about just that impact of the hit, but it's more about the weight. So would you suggest in like say you're going for like one or three rep max back squats and deadlifts? Yes. You should Okay. So yes. so basically if you're doing really heavy kind of low rep stuff, you should be throwing on some proper shoes for that. Yes. Just because because of the because of the arch fascia. Yes, you're just fatiguing the connective tissue physiology gotcha see there i did not know that i always do everything in barefoot except except olympic lifting because that hurts so (laughs) cool so let's get into then so let's talk talk more a little bit about just the health and kind of the history of barefoot training but i know a lot of people seem to think it's very new um but it's, it's it's really not I mean, like, you know, we, you had mentioned before, and I that you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, at least he's rumored, I don't know if there's any video of him, but they, you know, doing barefoot training. I mean, Bruce Lee, martial arts, is for years i have been doing it. Um, but it's, you know, reflexology, Chinese medicine seems to be coming back a lot. What are your thoughts on reflexology? You know, there's those maps that show the foot and how it's, you know, there's 7,000 nerve endings, and they say it corresponds to every organ and system in the body. What's your thought on, on that?
1: Yeah, so, be I since I travel to Asia a lot, I get to, and I get the experience of reflexology and the different uh, foot massage, mm-hmm. and they really, especially China, truly believes that foot massage is a longevity or a vitality um, practice. Okay. Um, so people who follow that in China will do a foot massage at least once a week okay. yeah, because they just believe it deep from that that kind of chinese medicine perspective mm-hmm. when you look at reflexology and the research behind it so i'm a, I'm a big proponent on a uh, foot massage anytime i am in all i do is foot massage yeah but also like true reflexology because when the the science behind reflexology is that they're really tapping into the vagus nerve and The vagus nerve, for those who are not familiar with it, is the cranial nerve that links to your autonomic nervous system. And it helps to balance the sympathetic-parasympathetic balance or tone aspect of the autonomic nervous system. So stimulating the vagus nerve and the different areas of the bottom of the foot helps to restore the parasympathetic tone of the body. And there's different markers on it. As far as, you know, that's the gallbladder, that's, you know, this is the heart, this is that. And it's really there identifying that to the vagus nerve. When you look at reflexology research, you actually do see reflexology lowering blood pressure, mm-hmm. reflexology affecting respiratory rate, reflexology affecting emotional state and depression and anxiety and things like that. Okay. All of that stuff links to the autonomic nervous system and the way that your body balances stress and parasympathetic
0: sympathetic oh very interesting so so that so there is would you say so there is quite a bit of evidence of reflexology would you say it's like uh it's kind of like somewhere between where china seems to think like it's all that in a bag of chips and you know a lot of the the general medical west doesn't think there's anything would you say it's kind of in the middle area or would you lean more towards saying it actually does have quite a few benefits like where would you put it on a bell curve?
1: Yeah, I would put it, when it comes to Western medicine and the way that I practice medicine in the West, mm-hmm. is I'm very much more of a holistic, um, alternative medicine way of looking at at, at movement and disease in general. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there is more more power behind it than we probably even understand. And yes, there's some research studies that support it, but I think it's even more powerful than a lot of Western medical professionals will appreciate.
0: Okay, I, that, I'm pretty much agreeing with you because, like I said, I do a lot of barefoot stuff, and so we're getting more towards the uh, kind of more towards the earthing, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. Um, we'll stick with China for a minute. Have you ever tried out one of those Chinese reflexology footpaths
1: before? I haven't. I keep hearing about it, and I've heard that they're even in India, and I've been to India so many times. Um, I oh actually you know what I have I've been in I can't remember which country it was but it was in a spa. Okay. And it was as part of the steam room of the spa and the hot cold bath was the pebble path. Okay. That you walk across and that's seen based on this reflexology and certain points. If you take away those pebble paths and you look at it from a more Western perspective, mm-hmm. there's research that shows. That if you do five minutes of trigger point release on the foot, you get an immediate improvement in balance. Okay. So that's how you could look at the pebble path not from a uh, an energy or a respiration and a disease perspective. That's a way that yeah. that might be hard for people to grasp, especially Western medicine to yeah. so grasp. If you look at it from like a somatosensory postural control side of things, or proprioceptive, which is more Western medicine, musculoskeletal, that's probably easier to accept. But, me as a podiatrist, and the way that I look at patients, as I accept both, and I tie both of those philosophies into my practice.
0: Gotcha. Now, you had said your mat um, was fairly low-key compared to some of these. So, you know, I have a rock pebble mat, uh, and some of those uh, some of those reflexology footpaths, those rocks can be fairly large. So, you know, I guess the theory behind it is, you know, all the different size bumps and stuff affect your feet differently. But would you say, you were saying before that some of those, in your opinion, might be a little too loud for the most part, like those rock mats and stuff like that?
1: No, I think that there's a benefit to doing both. Okay. So, understanding that the trigger point release or the reflexology has its role, and then the proprioceptive stimulation has its role. And you want to train both, right? Like, you, you're not going to swing a kettlebell on a pebble path. No. That's, that's, too, <laughs> that's way too loud. It's, it's painful. You know, you, you don't want to trigger a pain response or a guarding response. Yeah, no, right? for sure. But it's a great way to start releasing the body, stimulate the nervous system in its way. And then going on to the mat, which is proprioceptive, and then doing that throughout your kettlebell swings that's going to continuously tap into your postural control and your pelvic floor and things like that so it's two different ways that complement each
0: other gotcha okay so it's the ying and the yang of foot health exactly <laughs> so now
1: that takes us then into
0: grounding or you know earthing and a lot of people don't know what that is so if, you know i it's a fairly newer one for me i mean i've now, I've always believed, you know, I like walking in the grass and walking on sand, but I didn't, I didn't actually know there was literally a whole movement behind it, uh, and a bunch of science. Um, basically, what are they saying is that it helps, they're saying something about a transference of electrons, the earth magnetic field. Can you, can you like, do you know more about that? Can you explain it better than I can? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yes. So there is, I would say that earthing and grounding is very similar to the magnets. Have you ever heard of using a magnet if you get like motion sickness or seasick? You can uh, use magnets. Well,
0: I know there's like magnetic bracelets and stuff. Is that the same sort
1: of idea? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, or if someone's pregnant and they get uh, morning sickness, you can use these magnetic bracelets that you're talking about. People will use magnets in their shoes and things like that. Okay. So it's all it's all based on that everything has a charge, and us being very uh, I can't remember what percent of us is water. Like oh, 60, right okay. now, Yeah, so a huge yeah. percent of us is water. Yeah. A huge percent of your, your fashion is water. Water has a positive charge, and there's different charges in every aspect of, of things. The Earth has a charge, and you can essentially balance out your charge with the Earth's charge by grounding or standing on the Earth, The ideal way that you actually want to ground, and I learned this being in India, is I think grounding and earthing originated in India and some of their traditions. Is you want to step out on the grass or the the earth when there's a little bit of a dew. So you want the water. Yeah, I heard you're supposed to
0: be a little bit moist.
1: Yeah, so you yeah. want to have the water be a transducer between the body and the ground, okay. and it's a way to essentially balance out any of the um, negative charges in the body, hmm. which, again, may be hard for people to grasp. Like i why done rounding, when I stand on the earth and for people who do do it, I feel a, a great relief in like, lower back stress, tightness in the muscles, things like that that you can immediately feel a difference when you stand on it. You'll be like, wow, my back does not hurt, or I don't feel a little bit of tension in my, my neck. So that, that's how you can start to feel it. Hmm. Now, when you take that even further, it's it's essentially piezoelectric charges, is what's called. Okay. And your fascia is a huge transducer of these electron charges throughout the body. Essentially, every muscle contraction is an electron charge that goes through, the ATP has a charge, right, ATP to ADP is releasing that positive ion and that gives us energy, so everything really is based on positive, negative charges, you know, Mm. Uh, and your fascia and fascia hydration, which is why we foam roll, is to hydrate your fascia, the hydration and the positive ions, water, of the fascia allows you to send signals faster through your fascia so when you stabilize your body during dynamic movement there's communication through your nervous system through your fascia that's happening very quickly based on that hydration Okay. <laughs> so okay. yeah so every everything is just based on hydration and balancing out those charges.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. What is your What is your opinion on foam rolling? It seems to be getting a lot of, uh, a lot of people seem to be turning their backs on it. You know, like like Charles Poliquin and stuff that's gone on record pretty much saying he doesn't like it. Um, what's kind of your opinion on foam rolling? Is it because people are doing it improperly, do you think? Or is there just better yeah. things to do? Yeah, so
1: I'm a huge proponent on FAPSA release. Okay. But as you had said, it has to do with the technique. Mm. So, if you're trying to, you know, get deep into the muscle and break up the muscle, you need to make sure you're using the right tool. Okay. Um, I, I believe in a lot more of pin and hold type techniques. So okay. those would mimic ART, or active release technique. If you're doing that accurately or you're doing some sort of shearing response to it, then you're going to get an effective release deeper into the muscle from a softer foam roller perspective and you're just going more superficially, then you can actually start to sim- stimulate superficial fascia and the lymphatic system. Okay. So you have to make sure that your technique is correct. Of course, it kind of exploded and people were just rolling and like smashing their muscles. Well, that thought our CrossFitters
0: is, just go speeding up and down on it for like 30 seconds. And I don't know what they're yeah, doing. <laughs> yeah, and then
1: with like barbells and crazy things. Yeah. Uh, you don't wanna Potentially create bleeding underneath which is my concern with some of the crossfit techniques. Yeah with the barbells and and Stuff like that. However, if you look at manual therapy and like grasping technique, Mm -hmm. like there is there is Credibility behind these manual techniques. So if you're trying to mimic that with a tool You have to make sure that your technique is correct. So I, I definitely that there's a goal, yep. You just have to match the technique to what your goal is.
0: Have you seen the technique where you basically take uh, It's quite heavy. It's like just a giant metal cylinder, weighs like 60 to 100 pounds. And I guess you just kind of crush your quad with it. So you just kind of lay it on there. Uh, and, no. <laughs> you no. Know, basically, I guess what the theory, the thing is, is that they say, you know, when you foam roll, a lot of the times the problem is when people are foam rolling, they tense the muscle right? So it doesn't actually allow the muscle to relax. So what you do is say you put your leg on the ground, you take this large heavy just tube and you just kind of lay it on your leg and you leave your leg there and the leg will relax because it's relaxing on the ground and then there's just that extremely heavy metal weight that just pushes down on the muscle. So. Wow,
1: well, yeah. that, that just makes me a little nervous of like nerve compression or something. Yeah, I
0: know, I know he wasn't able to, I don't think he's been able to, uh, get it like uh, out there do courses because I guess there's a problem with insurance on it <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's interesting um, so yeah that's, that's honestly that's a lot to learn about the foot today so where can people where would people learn more about like do you have a blog where can people learn more about this all your information yeah
1: absolutely so I have everything links out of my Website, which is ebfa global. Again, ebfa global. Yep, I'll link to that. Okay. And then that links to ebfa fitness, which is the education company, mm-hmm. to our barefoot strong summits that we host um, several years. So that's an education conference in a sense. And then also to Noboso. So it links to the three branches under what I do in my company. Okay. And then, um, I do have a blog which is called Barefoot Strong
0: Blog.com
1: mm-hmm. and then I have a YouTube channel which all of this links from everything but a YouTube channel which has over a hundred videos for professionals to start learning and exploring this. It's youtube.com backslash EBFA fitness.
0: Okay, yeah, make sure you throw notes in for all those. What is the Barefoot Summit? What, what's that all about?
1: So it's a two-day event that we do twice a year. This is our third year doing it. We do it typically in Asia and in the United States. We did one in Bali in April.
0: Okay. And
1: we bring in other presenters and educators who look at movement in a a similar philosophy, whether it's fascia, breathing, pelvic floor, uh, dynamic movement. We've had parkour. We've had different myofascial release techniques, hmm. pelvic floor specialist, mobility, power plate. So it's a lot of um, people believing in the same concept that come together to deliver that message.
0: Gotcha. Where, where's that? In Ubud? Ubud, Ubad Ubud, Ubud, Ubud. Uh,
1: No, we did that in... Um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank.
0: There's Chengdu, there's Kuta, there's Ubud, uh, Lombok, uh, any of those? Uh, uh,
1: near Dengbassar. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. very So you did one. So you've done. How many have you done in, in Asia so far? Just the one, or you've done? Uh, got... no,
1: we did. We did India two years in a row. Okay. And then we did Bali
0: this year. Oh, very nice. And then I'm looking
1: at Fiji for next year. Okay.
0: Yeah. So you're picking some pretty <laughs> interesting spots there.
1: <laughs>
0: awesome. Well, I'd like to thanks for having you on. I think uh, we learned a lot about the foot today, which is great because I'm always getting flack from everybody uh, about bare feet. And uh, I mean like I was just in Myanmar and I was doing a course there and I had everybody in bare feet on the functional training day and you could tell a lot of them were just never had taken off their, their shoes in the gym before. Um,
1: I saw that picture, and I'm so proud of you. I love it. Make
0: yeah, sure. like I said, and you know, I, I just love the barefoot stuff. I'm trying to spread it more, uh, but you know, you get a lot. Of, you get a lot of people that look at you really weird, uh, you know. So um, I think I'm the only guy. I go to this big gym here in Thailand too, called the Muscle Factor. It's a big powerlifting and bodybuilding gym, and I'm literally the only guy in bare feet. And sometimes I wear my toe separators and get a lot of weird looks. So I, I try, try to avoid people where I'm wearing the yoga toe separators.
1: <laughs> Yeah, It doesn't matter. And I, I don't
0: think so. I mean, the worst case, people ask me what they're for, and then I can educate them. So, Yeah, But anyways, I'd like to thanks for having you on today's show. Uh, I think people are going to find this really informative, and I will put links to everything uh, in the notes.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. It was really a great opportunity.
0: Yeah, thank you and enjoy the rest of your tour in Asia. So right now you had said you were in Kuala Lumpur. Um, you were just in Jakarta the other day. Where were you off to after Kuala Lumpur? You said it's is it Shanghai? No, uh, well, I
1: actually go back to Jakarta for the Go IFEX conference. Oh, okay. And then I go
0: to Shanghai and then I go to L.A. Wow, lots of traveling. All right, well, safe travels and safe flights. Thank you so much. And I'm, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Okay, bye-bye.